Welcome to Fireside Nets with Spen and Pete, your number one podcast for Brooklyn's Nets news, opinions, reactions, and so much more. I'm Spen, he's Pete, and today we are joined by a very special guest in this bonus episode of Fireside Nets. We recorded yesterday for you guys. We're coming right back today with a spanking bonus episode. Pete, I'm going to let you handle the intro for this one. All right, let's go. Our guest today went from being a New Jersey Nets fan in Long Island, making the trip over. He became a credentialed member of the media at 18 years old to being hired by Kevin Durant. He's kind of been our guy, providing the perspective of the everyday Nets fan. You've seen him on NBA TV, CBS Sports, SNY, Daily News. I can keep on going. But now he's officially back. He's back home as Nets Daily's new editor. Welcome to the show, Anthony Puccio. What's up, Pooch? Pete, Spence, thanks for having me on. I'm excited for the season. Let's go. Let's have some fun. Love it. I, I don't want to blow too much gas, but in terms of getting guests on, you're you're one of our, our white whales. You know, there's a few of them on that's Twitter. You're up there, and uh, this is this is incredible. It's a little surreal. You know, I, I, the, the Pooch name has been relevant on Nets Twitter since I think Twitter was an application. You know, Spencer and, and Pete, I, I, I feel the same way about you guys. So, you know. Thank you. Yeah, I'm flattered, but it. at the same time, you know, we're on the same I, page. Here. I remember I, I joined a live stream of yours, I think a year or two ago, and I, I said something, and you go, Fireside Nets, Fireside, <laughs> you're here. I was loving it. I, I didn't forget that. Um, Rest in peace, we, Periscope. I learned yesterday, <laughs> my Periscope, Twitter lives are done. What a shame. Oh, wow. I don't Sad, day. Sad day for Nets uh, Nation. Well, listen, we, we got a lot to get to today, and I want to get started with, you know, looking ahead to next season. Nets Media Day was on Monday. Uh, I, I just kind of want to talk a little bit about expectations. Where should Nets fans' heads be at? Obviously, it's so easy to be hyped and excited before the season, before a game is played. Um, but realistically, Pooch, what, what are your expectations for this young, sort of up-and-coming Brooklyn Nets team headed into the season? I have them somewhere in that weird play-in area, 37-38 wins. If everything goes right and it starts with Ben Simmons, I can't make this point enough. If Ben could get back to form, this can be a playoff team. Everything will fall into place defensively, on the offensive end, being able to run and gun, playing the identity that Jock wants, which is on the defensive side. But a lot of things need to go right. So I'm watching Shawshank Redemption the other day, and Red Red says that, you know, hope hope is a dangerous thing, right? And uh, Andy Dufresne says hope is a good thing, and good things never die. So Nets fans are somewhere in the middle between Red and Andy Dufresne's conversation because if the right things happen, and, and right now Nets fans are living on hope this year. You're hoping that Ben Simmons is good. You're hoping that this front court is is, is deep enough to, to, to last, to rebound the basketball. You're hoping that, you know, we keep hearing about this defensive identity, which, again, they have the personnel. But if they're not making stops, they don't have a lot of shot creators. So they're going to be inbounding the ball under the hoop in a half-court offense with guys. You know, We don't have Kyrie. We don't have KD. We don't have James Harden anymore. Mikhail, I love him. 
But outside of him, you know, Cam Thompson is kind of the only guy that comes to mind that I, I think that, you know, he could really drop a 30-piece and create his own shot. You know, maybe Spencer Dinwiddie, but they need a lot of things to go right for this team to make the playoffs. And for myself, my expectations are very, very tempered. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. You were watching Shawshank the other day. I was watching The Perfect Storm. But spoiler alert, everybody dies at the end of that movie. So we, we, we do need the perfect storm, though, of, of things to go right for this team to be successful. I, I think it's interesting you brought up the front court and the lack of depth we have there. You know, looking back on some of the championship teams in the last few seasons, like the Warriors come to mind as a small ball team, but they had Kayvon Looney coming off the bench and, and grabbing 15 to 20 rebounds here and there, right? Last year, obviously, Jokic was your finals MVP. He was a monster. And then you had Aaron Gordon as, as a big number four. So who on this Nets team needs to step up and, and help out Nick Claxton in terms of rebounding? It's going to be – I mean, the answer is Ben. You know, he's playing the one, but on the defensive side, he's got to crash the glass. Cam Johnson, he's got to step up and, and play like a big man because he's playing that four position – I know they want him spreading out four wide or three wide. In this case, if Ben Simmons is going to start with Nick Claxton, but uh, Cam, Cam Johnson has has got to become a better rebounder, defender. Um, you know, as for the backups, you know, you're talking about uh, what Watford and and, and Dayron Sharp, and you're asking a lot out of guys that are unproven in this league. Now, Sean Marks, something that he's kind of been notorious with since he's been Nets GM is that he really hasn't had a lot of front court depth. Now, with that being said, he's always drafted very, very well at the big man position. So he's always had big men on the cheap, which aren't the center point of their offense with Jared Allen, with Nick Claxton, they're there defensively to be that cog in the middle and, and that lobs and blocks guy. But as we've learned, they've gotten crushed in the past when one of those guys has, has gotten into foul trouble or they're just getting manhandled down low and there's, there's really nobody to look after, you know, uh, after them too. So, uh, you know, I'm, again, I'm looking at De'Ron Sharp. I'm looking at Watford. I'm looking at these guys like this, this is not, this is not making me feel comfortable, especially for a team that wants to take pride in rebounding and defense. So, you know, we're going to have to find out what De'Ron has, has improved upon. Yeah. Talking about, we've just talked about the roster, especially the rebounding and whatnot. There was some talk about the bigs are maybe going to be doing some drop coverage. So instead of switching, we'd have maybe some of our big guys stay a little closer to home, trying to get a rebound. But think about this, right? Half-court offense, we don't have KD, like you said. We don't have Harden. We don't have Kyrie. How realistic is this transition offense, taking these guys, adding in more athletic guys? How realistic uh, is this that we can see this offense really prosper just by going maybe getting more transition buckets and stuff? Will there be adjustment period? It's all about the defense. It, it, it starts and ends on the defensive end. Again, if, if, if they're not making those stops, whereas, again, the personnel, when you have Ben, Spence at the two, Mikhail at the three, Cam Johnson at the four, and Nick Claxton at the five, you could switch basically anybody. And I know you said they might play drop, drop coverage and things like that, but they do have the personnel to switch. Now, if, if, if they if they can't make those defensive stops and, and let Ben run out in the open floor, let Mikhail and, and these guys trail on the wings, again, it's, it's going to be really, really difficult for this team to find success. Because like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, they're going to be inbounding the ball under the hoop. They're going to be wasting time, and they don't have that automatic bucket. 
So then you ask yourself something even I was asking myself today and I wanted to see was what kind of offense is Jacques going to run? My assumption is a motion, motion type of offense that's team-oriented ball, similar to how Kenny did, chuck a lot of threes, spread the floor. But again, you run into this dilemma where if you're in the half-court offense and you're not running, you're not in transition, you have Ben who can't, you know, it, let's, not get, let's not get started there. And you have Claxton who says he could shoot threes, but this is the typical training camp media day type of stuff. Other three guys are capable, but again, how, how do you find that, that balance, right? If, 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 if Ben is able to play downhill, if he's able to be a threat at the rim, not, not just, you know, take two steps in the paint and kick and like, that's not gonna That's not going to work. Teams have got like, he's got to become a double team threat when he's driving the ball, the way that he was in Philadelphia. That way Cam Johnson is out on the perimeter and his guy is coming over to help. That way Nick Claxton's guy is coming to help and he's throwing a little alley-oop, right? That way all these guys, it, it opens up the whole floor if Ben is right. But again, to, to kind of summarize my point, it all starts and ends on the defensive end. If they cannot execute and be a top five team, top 10 team in the NBA on that side of the floor, this is going to be a bad basketball team. And it's just as simple as that. Yeah, I look at this Nets team and I, you know, two two teams come to mind that I can compare them to in the past. And they're not one of these teams, but they're a combination of these teams. I think of like the Memphis Grizzlies back in the Mike Conley, Mark Gasol days when their entire identity was gritty defense. No one on that team other than Mark Gasol was offensively spectacular. I think Shane Battier was on that team. Um, Tony Allen was on that team. But defensively, they were tough and they would hit you in the playoffs. Nobody wanted to play against Memphis. Now, from a from a pace perspective, I think of the Steve Nash teams in Phoenix when that was a run and gun offense, get out and transition, put up a, a billion threes a game. Uh, difference difference with that team and our team is Steve Nash can hit threes, and they had Amari Stoudemire who was dominant down low. So, I, in a weird sense, I think like we're a combination of that Nash Suns team and those defensive minded Grizzlies teams. We, we just don't have the shooting at the guard position uh, like they had with, with Nash and Conley. That's, that, that would be a miracle if they could be either one of those teams. And Spence, this is not a diss to you or your analysis at all. This is just a team that, again, like they're trying to bring it back together after losing these superstars, right? And they have right. a good foundation. Mikhail is a good piece, but he's not a tier one superstar. And I think everyone needs to kind of understand that, like, He's good, and he's the right guy to build around. If 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 you could if you could build a player that embodies exactly what Sean Marks wants, someone that shows up, that works hard, that has that has that good charismatic energy, uh, and, and at that is a damn good basketball player. It would be Mikael Bridges. You know, you, you would, he is the perfect guy to reboot with. But just the talent discrepancy and, and kind of what you mentioned, I, I'd rather I think the Suns not so much, but the Grizzlies. I could see where your point is there. The one thing is the Nets don't really have, like, those bullies, you know? Like, they, they, they have the guys, again, the personnel that could switch. Ben could cover one through five. Clax could switch and cover basically one through five at that point. Uh, Mikhail, same thing. I mean, I don't, I don't think he's covering big men, but he could switch through one, one through three, one through four. They have the personnel. But, again, who, who, who are those enforcers that kind of mock up that, that Grizzlies team, right? They, they had that, that Zach Randolph, like, you, you knew, like – you went into that pit. Your grass is getting on the floor, man. You know, <laughs> you know. If, 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 even Gasol, like he played tough. Like, 
I love Claxton down low. I think he's he's a very good rim protector, but he's not he's he's not really known for being that bully. And behind him, I don't really know if they have that either. But again, you know, you're you're on the right. I think I think I agree with you in the sense of the defensive mentality that you're thinking with that with those Memphis teams. That's that's fair. And and I'm glad you brought up Mikhail because my next question, uh, it's it's something that isn't really talked about a lot. Look, you, you're right. Mikhail's not a superstar right now. If you if you come up with the top 10, 15 players in the NBA, I don't think he cracks the top 15. Um, and I, I had a list today or, or the other day, and he didn't crack it. He might not even be top 20. But looking at him and his age, knowing he's not a spring chicken, what is his ceiling? Like, can he get a little bit better and, and crack that top 15, top 20? Or is he going to be stuck from like 20 to 30 pretty much for, for the majority of his career? I really, really, really like this question because he's ascending. You know that he's rising. You know that he has respect of the players, the coaches, the front office. He played with Team USA this year, and he was he was the most efficient player by at least advanced stats on that team. Um, he wasn't their focal point. Now, the thing is here, Spence, is I, I think that – I think Mikhail Bridges this year does make the all-star team. I think he could be a replacement player type of – type of guy, right? The way that D'Angelo had that 18, 19 year um, and found himself right on the border. I could see Mikhail doing that, but we have to keep in mind again, by losing all these guys, uh, not really having that clear, distinct number two score on this team. Other teams and other defenses are going to be keying in on this guy the same way that they, that they did uh, over in Philly in that playoff series. And he struggled and he admitted, you know, I'm, I'm a little tired. You know, this is a guy that hasn't taken a game off since high school. So, uh, you know, let's see how he can be as the number one, especially during an 82-game uh, season without, again, that second shot creator unless unless somebody really, really comes alive. But I do, to answer your question, think that Mikhail Bridges' ceiling is very high. I think he can be an all-star this year. Um, and I think, you know, when you want to compare players and things like that, I think about Chris Middleton a lot. I think about guys like that. Somebody in that in that area where you could kind of depend on him on both ends, but you don't want him to be the number one guy on a championship team. So I, I think that's the fairest way to put it. I think I think that's fair. I was thinking that way last season, watching Mikhail. Uh the 26 points a game was insane, but someone needed to score on that Nets team and nobody else stepped up. So so he yeah. did. Um I think and I'm not I, trying I think to put it. I'm not trying to discredit him or his game. I think that he's he's probably gotten better, especially playing against, you know, some tough overseas talent this summer. But uh, again, these, these defenses are going to be keying in on him, and that, and that's the one thing. That's why the Nets. I keep saying it, but their defense has got to come through so that he could get out in the open floor, and he's not trying to ISO because that's that's not really his game. Interesting, you know, this uh, offseason, Marks did not make a lot of major moves. The, the starting lineup is going to be relatively similar to what it was last season um, in the playoffs with the addition of Ben Simmons. Uh, but we did bring in a, a few new role guys, you know, to, to bolster our bench. Uh, we're a bigger team. We're a faster team. Pooch, which one of these role guys are, are you most excited to see? Nothing, nothing like knocked me off my seat, right? And 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 that's what Sean Marks is good at. He's good at finding diamonds in the rough, right? And the, the guy that really stood out to me is I, I've since he's come out of the draft, I've been a big fan of Lonnie Walker. I think that he's somebody that that again he he might be able to be as like I mentioned one of those 
players on this team that as they ascend into their roles, learns and, and becomes a system player and, and starts creating shots for himself, which opens up the offense. Now, again, I, I got to be honest, Spence, I, I, I did not love their offseason. I, I wanted them to kind of get that one guy to support Mikhail on the score, just, just for scoring purposes and take some pressure off of him so that they could be back in the conversation. You know, the East is good, but it's not great. You know, this, is, this would be a good time to capitalize. We'll see what happens at the trade deadline. But I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not gung-ho about their offseason. Um, if you want to really, really get nitty-gritty, we could, we could talk. Yeah. But my favorite offseason addition is Lonnie Walker. You know, otherwise, I'm looking at the guys from last year. I'm looking at the continuity, the chemistry, the culture. That's what Sean March wants back. Who, who would you have wanted Marks to go after? Dame or, or somebody else? The Dame thing was difficult because I love I, I personally love Dame. I think he would have been a great fit here. I think he would have immediately put this Nets team over the top so long as they didn't trade Mikhail. Uh I, I would have had them in my top five easy in the East. But he's 33 years old. He's got a lot, a lot of money left on that contract. And right now the Nets are in that weird phase, especially with like considering the perspective of Joe Sai, right? He he took over. And KD, Kyrie, and these superstars were here. So as an owner, the only thing that Joe Sy knows right now is superstar mentality and, and, and these egos in the locker room. Uh, so maybe he's a little gun-shy in, in, in trying to get that back so quick because of how disastrous his stint with these guys was, right? Now, I think Dame, Joe Sy, and Sean Marks look at that, and the criteria just didn't meet based off of what I said, age, Money, the timeline with the Nets, it just it didn't make any sense. Uh, he wanted to be with a team like the Heat. He wanted to be with a team like the Bucks, Celtics, whoever you want. He would have come to Brooklyn, but that's besides the point. Obviously, there's part of me that says I want I want this team to be relevant. I want them to be in the headlines. I want them to be good. Damian Lillard fits that script, but I, I again I agreed with them in the sense of the criteria. The guy that I really like and that I've been hearing it's it's not really news at this point, you know. A little bit of, of mumbling around uh, Donovan Mitchell, uh, just 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 keeping an eye on that situation. People are unsure if he's going to sign that extension next summer, and, and and I think that when you talk about criteria for a star to come to Brooklyn, uh, someone who's played in a, in a in a team first system in Utah now in Cleveland, uh, he fits that mold. He's 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 on their timeline. They'd be willing to pay the buck if it's the right guy. Uh, and, uh, you know, just somebody that is actually from New York and proud of it. Like, that's not a jab at Kyrie, but, like, Kyrie played that card. Like, I love the Nets. I grew up loving this team. I'm from Jersey. But on his way out and when things were sour, he, he was quick to point the finger and really throw his favorite team under the bus. Whereas, you know, Spider, like, he comes here. I think he'd be damn proud to be repping that, that Brooklyn on his chest, anything with New York. So, I'm looking at him. Uh, otherwise, you know, like keep an eye on that uh, that Philly situation. And I'm not talking about James Harden. I'm talking about that that big man uh, parked down low. And I don't know about any connections to the Nets. I don't know. This is not intel. This is just speculation. It's purely just basketball talk. Um, what happens if Harden is gone or he doesn't play? Who's who's that second star? Tyrese Maxey? Sure. Uh, Philly's not winning a championship that way. So keep an eye on those uh, disgruntled superstars come come trade deadline. The Nets. I wrote this, the Nets need to just be good enough, not great, just good enough at the deadline that they're buyers and not sellers. I, I love that. I, I've been 
you know, liking that MB to, to Brooklyn move if he's unhappy. And if for some reason we're, we're able to get Donovan Mitchell, that's another guy that was linked to the New York Knicks that got to Brooklyn instead of the Knicks. So that, that would just be uh, – that would be an incredible get there by Sean Marks. I'm sure if, if, if Spida is out or wants out or tells them he doesn't want the extension, you will see the Knicks, the Nets. You'll see these East Coast teams emerge. Um, but for the Nets, I think I think he would be – he is kind of the missing link. And from there, you have to extend Claxon suddenly if you don't trade Claxon at that point. You have a very, very, very tough five depending on what you'd have to give up, though. I like that. I like that answer. Uh, one more question about this this team headed into the next season, and it's really centered around camaraderie. I, I just wanted your take because you're a little bit closer to the team than, than Pete and I. What is is different um, about this team in terms of chemistry and, and camaraderie that we didn't see during the Big Three era, if anything? Well, I'm back on the beat for the first time in four years. So That's I fair. haven't. I haven't been in the room, but but just you know, being whatever who I am, being able to analyze and compare to what Marx was trying to build when he first came here is that you know they they really really like this group of guys. They 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 like the coaching staff. They really really like the players. You know, when you talk about Sean Marks and this culture, whether it, you can't stand the conversation about it or you love it. He's rebuilding that identity that he had when he first took over. And, and again, that's that's the chemistry. That's seeing these guys having fun playing ball out there as a team, not as a one-man unit. That's, you know, you guys know this. This is continuity. That's um, positive assurance, uh, reassurance, I should say. Maybe outside of Cam Thomas, they have that right now. They have that group. They have that, that unit where I think these guys do actually genuinely like each other. They do want to see each other do well. The biggest, the biggest takeaway I had from this summer, to answer, to kind of pertain to this question, is Mikael Bridges' interview with I forget who about Ben Simmons and just kind of saying like we we want him to talk to us. We want it. Like we're gonna have his back whether he plays bad or whether he plays good. Now, comparing it to the team that they've had the past couple of years, you've got to think about all the different things going on on top of the foundation of the idea that. It's superstar egos to begin with. So you're already like losing that that culture. You got rid of Kenny Atkinson. Like that all that was gone. So you're playing superstar culture. With these individuals uh independently, they all had their own motives or whatever you want to call it. Whatever whatever it is. James Harden was great as a net his first half half of the year here. And then he gave up on the team. His, his, his lifestyle outside of basketball, I don't know if it was really exactly enticing to everybody, which is why I don't think he's in Houston right now, personally speaking. Kyrie, we don't need me to go th- through that rabbit hole because like, we all know what was up. One thing after the other, it didn't work. It disgusted Joe Sy, it disgusted Sean Mark, and quite frankly, it disgusted the whole team. KD, he was great. You can't, you can't kill the guy too much. He, he showed up. He balled. He worked hard. The one thing about KD, and this goes for all three of these guys, maybe outside of Harden, KD and Kyrie, they were not, to me, in my eyes, leaders. They were not vocal enough. They, When things were bad, it was always, I'm going to point the finger this way. I'm going to point the finger this way. But where's the leadership? Where's the vocal leadership? 
Now, I'm not in that locker room, so I don't know. I don't know if KD or Kyrie were speaking up or whatever. But as far as I'm concerned, I didn't see enough of it. I didn't see enough uh, building one another up. When, when you're one of the greatest players in the world, you should be making everybody better. It's okay to get angry or upset sometimes, but you keep that behind closed doors. I didn't see those guys shaking hands with Ben Simmons last year. I didn't see any of that, right? I saw a lot of angry faces on the bench, people that in a weird self-fulfilling prophecy way, even though they had won 19 out of 20, you still wanted a trade. Guys, guys were getting better. The team was starting to gel. You were finally allowing it to grow. That's the difference. You have guys that were selfish in Brooklyn, top-tier talents that are going to win you a championship, but they're selfish, and they're worried about their age. They're worried about their legacy. They're worried about what's next instead of what's right now. Whereas right in, in, in this moment now, in 2023-2024, they're not going to be – nearly as much of a threat as those teams were but moral victory speaking uh at least they're gonna work hard and for that alone they will win games in the regular season they'll still they'll steal games just for having heart and just for playing hard and you know for nets fans in brooklyn it seems like they team they seem to appreciate those types of teams more than the kd Kyrie, james harden big three teams uh now that's up that's up for uh discussion obviously but uh you know, that, for me, that's 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 not a lot of fun when you're working hard, but you stink, right? Uh, but on the other side, when you're not having fun and you're like a little bit above a, a little bit above average and win one playoff series, then you also don't have much to say either. So, pick your poison. Yeah, talking about the big three, and uh, I lost Wi-Fi for a couple of minutes, so I heard a little bit of the MB part, the D Mitch part. Looking at the roster now, looking at all the cap hits, everything going with the salary cap, right? Spencer Dinwiddie's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. Maybe Spen asked this before, but any deal involving maybe like a star or a top player coming to Brooklyn has to involve him, right? Because Clax is going to be a free agent also. We know he's probably going to get around a max deal if he does anything like he did last year, right? So what, what do you think about Spencer Dinwiddie's future in Brooklyn in particular? And is he going to be the first one out in a deal? The salaries have to match, then yes, it would make sense. Him Do you or, let him walk for free? Depends what the team looks like at the end of the year. If Ben Simmons is an All Star this year, then yeah, I let him walk. I'm because now You're getting nothing back. Depends. I mean, you know, again, what what does Joe Sy want? I think that Joe Sy is terrified of those repeater tax right now, especially after having to pay mm-hmm. all that the past couple of years, and end up again with with one playoff series win and a lot of headaches. So again, I don't know what where he stands. I know that he wants to win and he will spend, but he wants to do it wisely. Uh, with Dinwiddie, yeah, in a, in a trade that would acquire a big piece, I think that it would make sense. Or if Spencer said, you guys aren't going to extend me at the end of the year, you know, we know that Sean Marks likes to do right, especially by his people. And Spencer Dinwiddie is definitely one of his people. He would definitely do right by it. But gotcha. if Ben Simmons emerges as an all-star or, you know, everything that we're hearing, what, how, like what, what, what services is he providing here that he, you know, should probably go somewhere else and, and be better. But I, you know, that's, that's a tough question because I don't know what they're going to look like. You know, they right. got, they got him penciled in at the two right now, uh, yeah. which a lot of people, you know, were coming at me because I said, I don't, I don't like that. You know, I, I'd Ooh. rather have the ball in his hands. Uh, if he's starting, but 
him playing at the two, people said, you know, well, it worked in Dallas, but Ben Simmons is not Luka Doncic. <laughs> so, again, Pete, to answer your question, it, it's it's kind of hard for me to say right now, just because I want to see how they how they do. Let's do another podcast a couple weeks into the season, and I'll uh, I'll let you know. Listen, to allude to both your points, I, I think that if the Nets, Pooch, like you said, are good enough near the trade deadline and there's a disgruntled star out there on a team that's underperforming, it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world for Spencer Dinwiddie to be included in a trade if you're going to upgrade at that position. But again, these are all hypotheticals. We're assuming how the guys – in that case, we're assuming Ben Simmons is returned back to his old self and obviously making Dinwiddie expendable. Um, I, I don't want to talk about the, the big three too much – but I'm gonna make I'm gonna do a little positive spin on here. Will we look back on the big three era and say that that failure set the nets up for future success given the return we got? What do you think of that, Pooch? I've thought about this a lot, and I think that they traded KD and Kyrie at the perfect time. It it stung, it it was throwing in the white towel, it was admitting that this was a disaster. You lost Kevin Durant. You know, you get, in, especially in, in the Nets world, you get Dr. J, you get Draz, you get J. Kidd, and you get KD. I mean, there's, there's not there's not many players that you get like him. And that, you don't need me to explain that. But to your point, the return that they got for KD, being able to get not one but two foundational pieces for the long term that, again, Sean Marks, continuously praises and, and and wants to model this team, this culture, everything going forward after just to get those two pieces alone that can help you compete for the time being, but also know that you have some, some pieces for the future is, is a huge win in itself. You shed a lot of money. And beyond that, you have a ton of assets. I think they have the third most picks in the NBA. I could be wrong, but they have like the third or fourth most picks in the NBA through 2030. None more valuable than that 2029 Phoenix pick that's unprotected. Uh, Sean Marks has something now that he didn't have going into the 18-19 season, and that's assets. That's weapons. That's a, a, like a surplus of good rotation players that you could sweeten in a deal with those picks, with those assets. We could build, but this this cannot be a slow cook. You cannot let this – be a rebuild. The Nets had their opportunity to capitalize. Uh, they've been here for 10 years. They made the playoffs four or five times, but they haven't done anything outside of that. They need to make some noise, at least hopefully be back on the map within the next couple of years. My answer to your question is yes. I think they're set up very, very well for the future. I think March did a very good job with the KD trade, and I'm, I'm glad that they ripped the Band-Aid off when they did. Because if they tried to get rid of these guys, can you imagine if they wrote out the season with this new CBA and they were trying to get KD, get rid of KD and these guys? would have been a mess. And they would not have gotten the hole that they got, in my opinion. I love it. I love it. It could, you know, the best move in franchise history could be trading Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know about that, but we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> I know what you're saying. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> Pete, you, you got anything, uh, any big three questions? So. Everyone, maybe not everyone, but a lot of people have an experience of going out to dinner with your boss, right? You got hired by Kevin Durant and worked for the boardwalk, boardwalk for the uh, for the boardroom. What's that dinner like going uh, going out with Kevin Durant? What's the conversation like? And what was your experience like working for the boardroom? 
KD was KD was very busy with the basketball season. Uh, I worked I worked for his his what business manager Rich Kleiman. Uh, there's a lot of good folks over at Boardroom that I have a lot of respect for that work really hard. Um, but A Pooch wasn't sitting down with KD at uh, the Montes or anything like that. Uh, and as for my experience and things like that, I uh, I'd rather not go there. That's fair. KD can only be so lucky. That's all I'm going to say. I, there. I, I will say that KD is a is a stand up guy, and for boardroom, I was losing my house. I had gotten laid off last year uh, during the summer in like June or July, and I was in the process of saving my house for my brother. I needed to get hired by August with a September 1st deadline to have an, uh, to have a paycheck. And I got hired by boardroom. So whatever I, I want to say or whatever it is, uh, KD and those folks, Rich Kleiman and them, uh, they helped me out a lot. Uh, they, they got me through a lot of tough times because now I own this house, uh, my child at home. So I do, I do appreciate my time there. KD, I, I appreciate him as a person, as a human being, as a basketball player. He's a stand-up dude. He, he's kind of exactly who you think he would be, and and that's not a that's not in a bad way. He's a champion if I've ever met one, and 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 there there are very 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 few people that are like that man in this world that have that that championship mentality with with quite literally everything that they do in life, while also having a balance and just being a normal human being too. But. That's real. All right. We're going to finish out the pod with a little bit of getting to know Anthony Puccio. So, Pooch, mentioned that you were coming on the pod earlier today. I had a ton of fans reach out to me with all these all these questions, and uh, they, they just want to get to know you a little bit. They know they know the guy who covers the Nets, who, who, who's been around the NBA for a while, but they don't know, you know, Anthony Puccio. So, first question, where does Pooch eat his pizza in Brooklyn? Where are the best spots? If I'm in Brooklyn, I, I got to get some pizza. Where is, where is Pooch sending me? Wow. Um, the basic answer is Pomoni Gardens, man. Like, it sounds so basic. But if you're going to ask me to pin it down and pick one, it's Pomoni Gardens. That's my favorite. The, That's why I'm the, celebrating. The it looks like I'm wrong, but yeah. forget that. taste there, Pete. You too. I've, I've had Pomoni Gardens once. Love the pizza. Um, didn't have to pay a dime for the meal. It was a family friend. They paid for the whole thing. So everyone knows when you have a meal that's free, it makes it even better. And then we got the uh, – what's the dessert they do? The famous ice cream. The spumoni ice. Thank you. Am I right, Pete? Correct, sir. <laughs> got it. Uh, all right, next next fan question. It's a pretty simple one, three words. Can Pooch hoop? Hell yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. I, not, as, not, as, not as well after – uh, two two meniscus tears and three hamstring tears later, but I'll I'll still give you twenty. <laughs> yeah, I like that. All right, listen, if if, if I'm in the area and I'm I got your number, we might have to we might have to play a little ones, Pooch. I consider myself a hooper. Any given day, my man. Any time, any place. Yeah, uh, I gotta I, add I, on. I, I love it. I gotta add on to that. Uh, I saw in the past you worked out. We used to work out with Tobias Harris, Michael Kidd Giltris at one point. Do you guys keep in touch at all? Or is that just something from the past? Look, I I I played 
at a very, very high, high level. Um, I was on team underrated. Uh, we were number eight in the nation and we had a bunch of guys that were ranked on my team. So I was, I was training with Jerry Powell, who one of the most profound trainers in, in, in all the land training with Tobias, uh, Isaiah Whitehead playing against these guys. Uh, even my development, I started uh, with Jerry Powell and I started AAU uh, when I was seven years old and I was playing up 12U. So I was playing against guys like Charlie Villanueva. I was watching Michael Beasley down at IS8. Uh, again, uh, training with Bria Hartley, who's a great WNBA player. Like the list goes on for days and days. So when, when it comes to like, I, you know, if I see if I see Tobias, if, if Philly's playing in, in Brooklyn or whatever, of course, it's it's all love and, and, and all that. Um, you know, all those guys. You think about the New York and New Jersey guys, uh, even Kyrie, a lot of his family. I knew I knew I knew some of them growing up just because that AAU circuit on the East Coast is very it's big, but it's small. You know, and if you're in it, you're playing at IS8, you're playing at Lincoln Park, you're playing at at Gersh or any of those parks, uh, you know, you know, one another, you know, and uh, it was fun. It's, it's, it's nice that you're able to have those relationships. And I think it builds trust as a reporter that they know, like, yo, this, this guy bald, like I literally, I played against him when we were, when we were younger. It's nice, but there is by no means like any fanboying or like, Oh, yeah. Tobias, like we, we did this together. We did that. Like we know we're real. We, when we meet up, when we link up, it's cool, but nothing more than that. You know, these guys have lives; they don't want to be annoyed. As a two, annoyed either, bro. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't need it. You know, like I'm with you. Listen, as as a two time JCC champion, shout out to the Jewish Community <laughs> Center in Paramus. I get it. I don't want to be hounded by by guys that played against me back in the day that I gave twenty two. That's fine. Um, I agree with you. Gilchrist, All right, Pete. I don't know where you heard the kid Gilchrist one. That's a that's a good story. I did my homework. I do my homework. That's a good story because I remember I was at Jerry Powell one day. Me and my uh, the, the 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 folks that I played up with. I again always played four or five years up. Uh, man, we we had we had a huge championship game. I was the end of the bench guy. I, I didn't play unless we were up by fifty or whatever. I was playing five years up. Jerry Powell is, is going. You've got to find a way to get Gilchrist on this team. We need him for ISA championship. We need him. We need him. We need him. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get this guy. He lives in Jersey. <laughs> so I, I can't believe you found that one. But Pete, I got a lot more investigative too. Reporting, next time. Investigative reporting is in your is in your future. We'll see. I got two more quick questions. Number one, if uh, if Pooch wasn't covering the NBA, what would he be doing? Uh. Working at Meta, <laughs> I work. I work at Facebook right now. Um, look, I've I've been I've been covering with Boardroom, and and even now I'm I'm an NFL guy. Uh, I'm all, I cover more NFL in the last two three years than I have basketball. You know, for better or worse, uh, football fans be careful. But no, I, I I'm a huge huge football guy. Um, I love writing about it. I love the analysis. I think the product right now is fantastic. Um, but yeah, I you know, otherwise, I don't, I don't know, man. If I true, if there were no sports, I don't know what I'd be doing. The product is fantastic, not the product in New York. Oh, god, oh, pooch, giants, uh, like, pooch, get, guess what? Sucker went to the guess what? Sucker went to the Giants game on Monday. 
on Monday? That was you. Yeah, that was me. How you, you you wasted some money, huh? It was a free ticket. All right, all right, that's fine. I hope, I hope, I hope you had a couple beers and had a good time then. Pooch, so, I get to the game at, if it's an eight p.m. start. I'm there at five p.m. Love it. And love from five to eight fifteen is is the best. The second I enter the stadium, <laughs> night goes to shit. Oh God, I, 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 these guys—they're bothering me more than the Jets because at least the Jets have an elite defense and they're, they're like they're, they're playing gritty despite having an awful quarterback in Zach Wilson. I can't I can't stand Zach and I can't stand DJ. Uh, I'm sorry, neither of them are your, are, are your cornerstones. Uh, you don't need to hear it from me. <laughs> yeah, no, I. Uh... Uh, yeah, it's 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 they're tough teams to root for, but like you said, the Jets at least have some some promising talent, some identity there, and the Giants have absolutely nothing. But this is a Nets podcast, and we got one more one more pooch question. Keep them coming. Let's go. The and Nets fan base. The Nets fan base gets a lot of criticism because we aren't the Knicks. We ha- we don't have a you know a 50, 60 year history in Brooklyn. Um, we've bounced around a little bit, but. I think we're unfairly criticized. So, Pooch, my question is, oh, you know, the fans asked this. They reached out to me. They wanted to know what Pooch thinks. Do the Nets have a good, legitimate fan base? They have a good fan base. It's not the Knicks. It's not the Lakers. It's not the Bulls. But you're talking about a team that has moved from Long Island to Jersey, to like, like has, has constantly been jumping around. They finally established themselves in Brooklyn. It's been now, what, 11 years? This will be their 11th season there. They're building. And, and again, the Knicks, being who they are with such a big fan base, it was never going to be easy to, to be this phenomenon, right? Like, it, it's not like, you know, they're, they're moving to Seattle and there was just fans waiting for them. The fan base is different. It's a tight-knit, loyal, like, we're going to watch this team for 82 games, and if they lose 70 of them, which we've been through, we're still going to watch them. If we have this podcaster or live streamer working for free at Nets Daily and the Nets make the playoffs, but he doesn't have enough money to get on a train, we're going to pay for it so that he could get there and show out. This is a good group like good, good community that it, it doesn't feel like a fan base. It feels like a family. And I, like, I, I don't just like throw that word around lightly, but like I go to Brooklyn and I'm hugging and kissing the security, the fans and people that know my, my mom and know my brother. And, you know, like even outside of the fans, like the people that have been here for a while, the iron Eagles of the world, the like, like this is, this is, it's tough because they get a lot of flack because they're in a big market, but they're like a small market team in a big market, if that makes sense. And I think like what the Nets could do better is maybe like find the balance between like understanding that they're not going to ever be the Knicks, but they're also not in the middle of Oklahoma city. No disrespect to the thunder because they have great fans, but what makes this fan base unique and what makes it good is that they're loyal. They care. It's quite literally, they are the epitome of what Brooklyn represents, that family value, that neighborly, I'm going to help you. Like, I want to be there no matter what, through your best and through your worst. So for me, I'm fully indebted to this fan base, seeing it firsthand. I was a kid growing up at the Meadowlands, and 
I wondered a lot of times why it was so empty. And during those days, maybe I wouldn't be able to give you the same analysis because it was in New Jersey. It was more spread out. You had people kind of buying the cheap tickets there and going, whether it was from Long Island, from, you know, the boroughs, Jersey, Philly, you know, if they could catch a game, it was, it was driving. In Brooklyn, we have something really, really special here that's still growing. And it's like a, like a family tree in a sense. They have to keep getting those branches out. That's why I'm disappointed these past couple of years with the superstars didn't work because it really, really would have been nice to capitalize while the people in the eyes were on them. But all hopes are not lost. They still have an established fan base. You'll see Barclays Center relatively packed this year, hoping for the best, maybe expecting the worst, <laughs> for better or worse. But I have nothing bad to say about these guys. Everybody, I, I, I tell you, the disagreements, whatever it is, we're all here for the same reason. I think everyone understands that. And that tight-knit bond, it, it, beats, it beats being a, a, a fan of a big team or, or a big fan base any day of the week because I get to know these people's names you know, off the top of my head and say hello to them at games and sit with them and understand that we're, you know, I'm not better than you because I have a credential or anything like that. We're all in this because we just want to watch basketball. I, I think it's it's perfect and what you said. And, you know, the noise always comes from outside, right? It's no one who is a Brooklyn Nets fan who's been to the games, who, like you said, has said hello to some – maybe they say hi to Mr. Whammy, right? Like, and, and, and you see – and everyone's so welcoming – and you do have that homey feel. And, and you know, people outside of it, they don't get it. it, it it's, it's almost foreign to them because we – right, we're not the Knicks. We're never going to be the Knicks. But that doesn't mean that being a Nets fan isn't, isn't amazing. And, and, you don't you know, we've been blessed to, to watch some pretty good teams over the past few seasons. It hasn't gone our way. Um, but n- what hasn't gotten worse or, you know, fans don't get injured. We, we keep coming to games, right? Like yeah. – the, the energy and the people who, who go to Nets games, they're, they're second to none. And I, I think it's just been getting better. Like, I, I don't think we're going we're gonna to see those empty Meadowlands stadiums like you referenced because I remember going there. They would give Pooch and, and Pete, just so you know, Reverse like there. 50 to 100 tickets to my middle school. To my middle school gym teacher who was a dancer. And they'd go take, give 100 tickets away. And we'd go to the nosebleeds and we would be the only kids there. You're never going to see that at Barclays. You're never going to see that with this Brooklyn Nets team. So I thought I thought that was a good answer. You know, you guys remember the five dollars screecher seats from the Daily News? You get yeah. five dollars nosebleeds, and they give you thunder sticks. Yeah, yeah. The reverse the reverse jerseys that Yarmark had were brilliant, but absolutely insulting to Nets fans. On while we're on the topic, I want to like mention the Brooklyn Brigade which is started by Bobby, Bobby Edemica, um, and his, his three brothers, um, just top class people that uh, the Brooklyn brigade, there was a loud and proud section. If you guys remember in New Jersey, that was started by on Twitter, Elon PB, Elon, if you're listening to this shout out. And it, it kind of like blossomed into this idea where Bobby and, and the brigade were taking money out of their own pockets to just like, make sure people could get to the games. They care. They want to be there, but maybe they can't afford it. And he was the first one to really start this, this wonderful, wonderful thing. Now it's blossomed 10 years into Brooklyn, 11 years into Brooklyn, whatever you want to say. And they have their own section now. Like they have their own, they literally built their own stanch and their own, you know, three, four rows of bleachers that Sean Marks will occasionally walk over with a pack of Michelobes and, 
you know, and be fired up. Right. And, and how, how awesome is that? Like you're, you're a fan, this guy, Bobby, he started, he started this whole thing, a wonderful, wonderful guy. He, he, he gets people on a bus and pays for the bus and has them go out to Boston for the playoffs. I was one of those people. He, he let me bring one of my best friends too. My friend had never been to a, a basketball game before. He loved the Nets. He just never been to a game. You know, th- th- these are the type of things. Again, when I say family, like they're such good people. Can you imagine, you know, like me telling you, uh, I don't know, James Dolan or, 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 or Leon Rose or whatever, like whoever it is, is going to go over to section 312 and he's going to have a whole box of Michelobes in his hands. Like this team is different and, and this fan base is different. They're not perfect. Uh, they're not huge. But one day, I think the point of all this is to one day reach it. And people like Bobby, the dawn, the dawns of the world who, who travel to watch this team throughout the whole country, these are the types of people. The whammies, of course, I can't forget him. Jeffrey Gimblero, rest in peace to him. You know, he started this whole thing in Brooklyn where he was running around in those neon shirts. You know, the, this is going to flock. If you want to consider Pooch uh, part of it, yelling on a screen, you know, Flatbush, uh, Flatbush, uh, Flatbush Atlantic, the, the old T-shirt shop. You know, these are good people that we all know just through Twitter, through seeing each other at the stadium. And it will grow one day. You know, you build good basketball and, and they will come, especially in New York City. I just – that was – I want to see what your shirt says because I feel like it has everything oh, to do with your podcast. answer. The, I was about doing? to say the, the my old, way. My old The old podcast, well, well, Pete, I'm, wow. everything Pooch just described is the Brooklyn way. It's the Nets way. I was thinking it, and I realized I was thinking it because I was reading it on his shirt for the past 10 minutes. Like, yeah. th- family, that's the Brooklyn way. It's family, man. It, it, it all is. I can't, I can't say enough good things. I've told the story about the fans crowdsourcing my trip to Philly that time. Um, like, really, truly – like without them, I I am not in the seat talking with you guys. It's it's just it's real. Like they gave me a chance to be myself and to try and excel in the field that I was trying to be good at when I didn't have a dime to my name. I was still in school. These people helped support me, helped me get to these games, pay for railroad tickets, whatever it is, help me get food uh, while I'm at these games. You know, my dad is sick. I'm losing my house. I have all these like negative things coming at me, but being in Brooklyn and, and with these people, it, it took me away from the reality of the situation that I was living in. And that's not to air out my dirty laundry or anything like that. It's more to tip my hat to the people because now I feel I've come out of that storm and I want to, I want to thank all of them with whatever opportunity I have, because again, like I said, fully indebted to them outside on and off the court, just fantastic human beings. And that goes for both of you guys too. You absolutely love to hear it. Uh, Pooch, thank you so much for coming on the show. You are always welcome. Where can everyone follow you? You know where to follow. Hey, Pooch, baby. <laughs> that was that was kind of like a cake. You, you, you know who I No, no, that, that wasn't meant to be uh, cocky. You know, A Pooch on, uh, on Twitter. Um, I'm A Pooch on Instagram, just like a dog. You know how it goes. But I'm going to get SoundCloud back up so people could start listening to full audio. I'm going to start writing again. That's daily. Uh, now I'm the site manager. I'm not the beat writer, but I'd like everyone to follow Lucas Kaplan if they already don't. Brian Florentine, Colin Hel- Helwig. Uh, if you choose to, follow Nets Daily, but check out the articles. I'll have some pieces there. 
All right. There you have it. Anthony Puccio coming on the show. This was another edition of Fireside Nets with Spen and Pete. And as always, catch you on the fireside.